Hello everyone, welcome to Antibodies. This is our 27th episode in the Immunology 101 series, a segment where we teach immunology and tell bad jokes. Joining me today is my lovely co-host, Ash. How are you today, Ash? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful morning. That's nice. Today, it's sunny in San Francisco, which, well, in the part where I live, it's rare. So I'm very happy and my dog loves it. She's out there Ugh. looking out the window. Just oh, so dogs, dogs make my heart happy. <laughs> yeah, and, and they love sunlight, which yeah. I found out after in, in the last four years that she would really like, she likes sunlight so much that she would rather be there than sit next to me, which <laughs> like she's always sitting next to me, except when there's sunlight. Oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. Well, uh, I know we normally teach immunology and tell bad jokes, but it looks like we don't actually have a joke today. Oh, looks like those two people in our audience who look forward to our jokes are going to be so disappointed today, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to email them in particular. Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we have like, it's easy to get two people's email addresses. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we then start with what we discussed last week? For sure. Last week, we discussed these following points. The cellular immunity is really important for eliminating intracellular pathogens. Cytotoxic T cells, just like helper T cells, require three signals for activation. First is TCR stimulation, second is a co-stimulatory signal, and third is a cytokine signal, a very specific cytokine signal. Then we mentioned at the end how CTLs, or cytotoxic T cells, or cytotoxic T lymphocytes, once activated, they hoard up little cytotoxic grenades and they travel throughout the body to find the cells that are expressing their cognate antigens in the context of MHC class one. So I was so interested in these little cytotoxic grenades and I, I actually read up on them and I would like to talk about them today. They're even cooler than I originally thought. It sounds great. And that's a great topic to start our discussion today. Perfect. Yes. So, so let's, so if, if we're thinking from the beginning, the goal of cytotoxic T lymphocytes or, or CTLs are to cause cell death of infected cells. Right. Because yeah, they're targeting the infected cells. Right. Right. So, uh, but if you think about it, the amount of cytotoxic granule granules, the, the grenades that we talked about, it would take a whole lot of those to lice the cells yeah there's very limited amount of granules you can hold inside a cell right yeah it seems right. inefficient yeah so what i actually learned through this this reading up i did was that the granule granules <laughs> aren't made to lice the cell the contents of the granules will actually induce cell death okay that's a very weird way of saying no, it sounds the same thing. So, okay, let me clarify this. Uh, yeah. What type of cell that are we talking about? Is this a necrotic cell that, that leaves the cell dying and shedding its insides for other cell immune cells to pick up and very likely start an inflammatory cascade in itself? Or are we talking about a silent cell that like apoptosis where there is no inflammation induced? Right. That's exactly the point. That's a pertinent question. 
uh, with cell lysis, you would be scared that there would be an inflammatory response, like in response to the cell dying. Mm -hmm. And so it is a programmed cell death through apoptosis. All right. So you're saying that these granules that are, are being held inside activated CDLs, they are inducing apoptosis in their target cells. Could you walk me through this whole process? Sure. Yes. Let's start at the beginning. So you have an activated CTL that's identifying a target cell through MHC1 and the T cell receptor, like we talked about, and they bind to each other in a very similar way that a T cell binds to an APC. They form this immune synapse with a ring of TCR molecules surrounded by a, a peripheral ring of adhesion molecules that help keep the cell-to-cell -cell interaction really, really strong. They actually call it the kiss of death. Ooh, fancy way to, to announce a cell's die. <laughs> right? So the main adhesion molecules involved in this CTL target cell interaction is LFA1 on the CTL and ICAM or intracell... In you can do it, Ash, you can do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Intercellular adhesion molecules on the target cell membrane intracellular adhesion molecule is that on the membrane yeah yeah so i did i did the same thing last week again when i was reading up on this it's intercellular adhesion molecule not intracellular adhesion molecule because it works to adhere two cells together all right okay i get it okay so uh what's one of the things that are so interesting is that the strong TCR signaling that occurs here in this kiss of death actually changes the way that LFA1 is folded. And this causes LFA1 to have a more high affinity interaction and further strengthens the bond between the two cells. So how long do these two cells have to interact with each other? Yes, that's a good question. So the high affinity LFA1 on the CTL is transient. And it only lasts for about five to 10 minutes after the initial activation. And after this time, the cell, uh, the CTL starts to dissociate from its target and the return of LFA1 to its low affinity state is likely a contributor to that. But before the CTL leaves, of course, it actually has to induce the apoptosis that I mentioned earlier. It does this by releasing those cytotoxic granules filled with what are called pro-apoptotic molecules. The most notable of these, of these molecules include the monomer of perforin, which means pore forming. It also includes a group of serine proteases called granzymes, and this is a group of proteases. They hold these molecules within granular pockets inside of the CTL. Okay, I've got a question. Uh, you talk about the monomers of perforin and granzymes that are being held inside the granules, are these CTLs always producing these molecules? Right. So there's so much of that that it would actually be very inefficient to always produce them. So they, they don't actually produce those molecules until they have moved past the precursor stage and actually have gotten that initial uh, activation signal from the APC. But then they start to accumulate within the cell until the CTL will encounter its target cell. All right, what happens then? So when the CTL interacts with the target cell, the TCR signaling immediately will recruit the granules to with, with the granzyme and perforin to the area around this immune synapse 
where the CTL is encountering its target cell. So when the granule granules, that's such a difficult word, yeah, it's granules, <laughs> when the granules get to the surface of the cell, uh, they're in these, these uh, uh, lipid, uh, what are they called? End, endosomes. They're within these endosomes mm-hmm. within the cell. Um, and so the, the membrane of the endosomes will merge with the cell membrane and uh, fuse together. And with this causes the contents of the granule to be released right where that target cell is located. Wow, that's some wildly complex technology that these CTLs have got for very specifically releasing in the right direction, whatever granules they've got. Right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, I guess what evolution thought would be the most beneficial to humans. Yeah. Uh, I think it makes sense because they can be so dangerous. Like we talked last time about how damaging these cells can be if they're unchecked. Right. So, okay. What do the granzyme and perforin do to the cell exactly once they are released? Yes. Yes. So, uh, remember how I said the granules contained perforin monomers? These monomers are able to change their conformation when they contact the membrane of the target cell. This conformational change exposes a part of the protein, a part of the monomer that is hydrophobic. Right. If I remember my cell biology class correctly, hydrophobic molecules tend to insert themselves into the lipid bilayer of the cell membrane so that they're not exposed to the solvents. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So here, once they're in the cell membrane like that, the monomers will polymerize and they end up polymerizing a whole lot uh, in a circular uh, little formation that looks a whole lot like a pore. Oh, okay. That also makes sense why these polymers, while being inside the endosome, are not causing the CTL to die, right? Okay, right. I- I also, it looks like we have talked about something like this before. I think we talked about another group of group of proteins one time that also formed a pore like that. Was it something with complements? Yeah, yeah. The complement system has a molecule that shares some homology with perforin, actually. Um, it also forms a pore in much the same way. Oh, right. That was the membrane attack complex, the Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Awesome. So uh, do granzymes enter the cells through the spore? So it's been debated how the granzymes gain entry into the cell, but the current understanding is that it enters the target cell actually by binding to the mannose-6-phosphate receptor. When it does that, the process of endocytosis uh, from the target cell brings the receptor and granzyme complex within the cell. Perforin here does play a role, though, uh, because some perforin is endocytosed along with this granzyme, which creates pores within these endocytic vesicles that lets the granzymes then into the cytoplasm. And once the granzyme is inside of the cell, they wreak havoc and initiate a series of events that leads the cell to undergoing programmed cell death or apoptosis. What if, if granzyme is that destructive, how does the CTL protect itself from its effects? Because we discussed how the perforin monomers are inactive. I don't get how the granzyme is inactive in the CTL. Yeah, so uh, it, it's there's probably multiple ways, but the CTL express really high levels of serine protease inhibitors. So essentially, this would be like anti-venom to the CTL's granzyme venom. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really cool. 
Yeah, I thought so too. I really liked learning about these enzymes and how that actually works. Yeah, perforin and granzyme seems like a very cool combo for the CTLs you have. But Ash, I'm going to blow your mind with this. Do you know Uh-oh. there's actually a a way for CTLs to kill their targets without deploying the perforin and granzymes? Really? Well, tell me more about that. Okay, behold, this transmembrane <laughs> protein called FAS, it's spelled as F-A-S, or for the hardcore immunologists, it's also called CD95. This protein can deliver a cell death signal when it binds to its ligand, which is conveniently named FASL, where L stands for ligand, so FAS ligand. Okay, let's back up. So the cell that expresses FAS receives the cell death signal, or is it the one that expresses the ligand? It's the cell that expresses FAS, and it turns out many cell types express FAS. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because the the receptor is going to be the one with the intracellular signaling. Right. Uh, I am guessing, though, that the CTLs will express FAS ligand then. You are absolutely correct. CTLs hold this key, the FAS ligand or FAS L, that, that potentially can kill any cell that expresses the receptor FAS. Are you saying that CTLs are just going to go around killing any cell that has FAS expressed? This sounds like a disaster. So yeah, it would be a disaster if they just had FASL on their surface all the time. Fortunately, CTLs hold this FASL inside the cell, also in granules, until they're activated. Once activated, these granules fuse with the plasma membrane so that FASL can come to the surface and now it's actively looking out for other cells expressing FAS. Uh, Ash, can you express how, just l- l- let me have you guess this, okay? How important do you think this FAS-mediated mechanism of death is? So I think we can figure out, probably by looking at any phenotypic changes that we see in animals that don't express FAS or FASL, Exactly, just like how we did in the last episode where we looked at those individuals who don't have T-cells and saw how they did. So, well, in this case, let's look at what happens in mice and humans when they lack a, lack the FAST gene or they have a mutation in FAST in making the protein less or non-functional. So here is what happens in mice that have a mutation in their FAST. We call this mutation LPR mutation, where LPR stands for lymphoproliferation. The LPR mice, that is the mice that have mutation in their FAST gene, have massive lymph nodes. Ash, have you ever isolated lymph nodes from mice? Uh, Only about a million of them during my (laughs) PhD. I actually now work with mice that don't have lymph nodes, but uh, I am very familiar with with mouse lymph nodes. (laughs) Okay, what a change of pace for you then. Well, (laughs) let me tell my story. When I first tried isolating lymph nodes, I would sometimes be picking up fat (laughs) instead of lymph nodes (laughs) because of how tiny some of them looked. However, relatable. Yeah, right. When I was working with lymph nodes in mice with the LPR mutation, there was no doubt in my mind, this is a lymph node. They were so big that you could see them from the outside bulging out of the mouse's cheeks. Oh my gosh. So these LPR mutant mice develop autoimmunity because some of the cells that are not being killed by the FAST mechanism that we talked about are actually lymphocytes and hence the name 
lymphoproliferation mutation or LPR mutation. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So the, it, it seems like the CTLs aren't able to attack the other lymphocytes that are, are self-reactive instead of here being, being, uh, 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 infected, they're just self-reactive. We've, we've actually talked extensively about how these immune cells, such as T cells are capable of intense damage if left, if left unchecked. So it seems like the fast mediated killing is another way to get rid of those T cells. Right. Yeah. Just as much as the fast mediate mechanism of killing is for other regular cells, it's also there to get rid of T cells. Uh, it's something of a recurring theme in all of our episodes that you don't want your activated immune cells to be hanging out for too long. So fast mediated killing is another way of getting rid of your activated T cells once they're done doing their job. Uh, so yeah, when you don't have this mechanism of killing, the fast mediated mechanism, there is rampant T cell proliferation and just not enough cell death to, to compensate for the proliferation. And as, as a result, you have too many activated T cells and there's only one outcome of that. A lot of inflammation, potentially autoimmunity. Dang. Yeah. So, so you and I have both, these are two ways that CTLs will kill their cell through apoptosis. Uh, I talked about how granzyme can, um, induce apoptosis and you were speaking of fast and fast cell induced apoptosis, but I guess we haven't really discussed how that actually works inside of the target cell. Yeah, you're right. We have not. And I think it's an important topic to cover. Let's see what's happening inside the cell in both of these mechanisms. In one case, we have the granzymes and perforins acting. And in the other case, we have the CD95 or FAS, FASL interaction. So the, both of these pathways, let's call them, they induce the process of apoptosis. And the process of apoptosis involves these family of cysteine proteases called caspases. Here's a nice thing to know about caspases. First, caspase stands for cysteine aspartate protease. How's that? Wow, <laughs> I, I am constantly shocked at how inconsistently scientists name things. See, for this one, I am actually glad this is how it's named because it's very easy to remember. Cysteine aspartate protease, caspase, yay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's true, you have a good point there. So the cysteine here refers to the amino acid on the enzyme that serves as a nucleophile to carry out the cutting, okay? The aspartate is the amino acid on the substrate that gets cut. And the protease, of course, being the class of enzyme it is. So we've got cysteine, aspartate, protease, or caspase. In a similar vein, when you see a class of enzymes, let's say serine proteases, the serine refers to the amino acid that is going to act as a nucleophile for the cutting. So it was, I think sometimes it can be a common misconception for people to think serine means it's the target amino acid that is being cut, but that's not how proteases are named. Typically. Okay, so nucleophile meaning, if I'm remembering again from organic chemistry, the like, the the chemical reaction mediator. Yes, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's the one that, yeah, it's attracted to nucleus or attracted, attracted to positive charges. So yeah, there gotcha, are a lot, okay. a lot of biochemistry involved here, but yeah, there is, I, I think proteases mostly have a very 
strict nomenclature, so it makes it easy to know what a serine protease is, what a cysteine protease is, what a metalloprotease is. It's somewhat consistent in that way. Oh, well, that's really good. So uh, what is these, what's up with these caspases and, and why are we talking about them in the context of apoptosis? That's a great question. These caspases are at the center of initiation and execution of the apoptotic process. In a general sense, think of them like a set of enzymes that are set up like dominoes. Uh, not the pizza plate, but the tiles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you clarified that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So when you activate one caspase, it starts this cascade like the domino tiles, where one enzyme will activate another by cleavage, which will then activate another by cleavage, which will then activate another with cleavage and so on. So I think you get the point. And eventually, mm -hmm. this whole activation and cleaving process a uh, cascade will result in cell death via apoptosis. Now, you may ask, how does the CTL initiate this? Well, let's go back to the two major ways a CTL kills a cell, like we have discussed. First, in the case of a perforin and granzyme-mediated cell death, the granzyme and perforins, uh, the granzyme and the pores formed in the cell, they are going to initiate caspase activation and they're going to cause the mitochondria to leak. And I think we all know what happens when the mitochondria leaks. Um, it doesn't sound good, <laughs> but what happens when the mitochondria leaks? Okay, I was just trying to build suspense. Like, it's very common knowledge. But okay, I'll, I'll just say. <laughs> when the mitochondria leaks, there is cytochrome C released from the mitochondria, which normally it sits inside. But when it's leaking, it just comes outside and cytochrome C is a harbinger of death. That name doesn't even sound scary, cytochrome C. It kind of sounds like it would be friends with Sunny D. <laughs> the orange juice brand. <laughs> yeah, don't you think? <laughs> that, that, that's well, okay, exactly what I could see them hanging out. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get back to science. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so cytochrome C being in the, cyto in the cytoplasm, that is a signal for cell death. And there is a whole intermolecular interactions going on. That would be too much to discuss in a podcast like that. But yeah, that's basically how it begins in case of the cranzyme and perforate mediated cell death. In the second mechanism where the CTLs kill with FAS and FAS-L interaction, Let's see what happens here. When FASL on the CTL crosslinks with this FAS receptor on the target cell, this process cleaves one of the inactive caspases, we call these inactive caspases procaspases, into an active caspase. And this is happening right around that junction of the cell-to-cell uh, -cell interaction and inside, right inside the recipient cell, there, there are these cleavages on the procaspase. And once this procaspase gets into an active caspase, well, we know what happens. One caspase activates the other and another protease is cleaved and another protein is cleaved and all of this results into apoptosis. So this is a slightly different route of cell death taken compared to what happened in the first one where the mitochondria was the initiator or the mitochondria oh. had this leakage. Here, in this pathway... Typically, there is no mitochondrial leakage. I see. Okay, but this is kind of where they connect with like intracellular machinery, uh, caspases doing their job and causing cell death. Yes, that's correct. They do both converge to a similar outcome. Uh, it's a small detail that I'm not discussing. 
it's the name of the specific cast spaces that are involved in these processes. Uh, there's a lot of cast space three, seven, eight that we don't want to talk in this episode, uh, just because it'll be too much for a podcast. Uh, well, with how bad scientists are at naming things, I bet that they aren't in like an easy numerical order either. And like <laughs> cast space seven activates cast space three or something like that. <laughs> we might need to do a whole separate episode just covering the forms of death. Yeah. See, that that's a problem with naming things that you name them in the order of discovery and which bear, almost never matches up with the order of their exist or their roles in a right. sequence right it's it's almost like it, you wish you discovered protein one before protein two and if they're in a sequence of some pathway huh, yeah mostly it doesn't happen that way so yeah you'll have to deal with numbers not making any sense that's just science sorry i actually <laughs> have a friend who <laughs> i actually have a friend who did study the cast space pathway and mm -hmm. they uh uh, there's like four of them in a row and she uses that as her pin like seven three nine one i don't even know what it is but <laughs> that, I, I, i'm gonna put that as my you know what i should put my phone password the order in which those complement proteins occur that way yeah. i'll never forget that order <laughs> the classical <laughs> that's, oh my god that's such a good study <laughs> right. study tool yeah right just phone, and and i make sure i don't have any fingerprint or face id so i have to add that number yeah. <laughs> yeah. Med students, if you're watching this, see that's how you can learn complement pathways and never forget <laughs> that. Yeah. You know what? We should probably make a separate episode just covering forms of cell death. And <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a nice episode for some time in future. Uh for today, I think this is a great point to stop. Uh Ash, should we summarize everything we have discussed today? Of course, I think this, I think you're right. I think this is a great place to stop. Uh, so today we learned that CTLs can kill infected target cells and self-reactive T cells through, well, at least some self-reactive T cells <laughs> through two mechanisms, uh, perforin granzyme mediated cell death and the fast facel mediated cell death. Both fast and perforin granzyme mediated cell death mechanisms are important for CTLs to carry out their function. Granzyme, perforin, and FASL are kept in the CTL's granules in the, the little cytotoxic grenades and are only released either to the outside membrane or to uh, uh, the extracellular area uh, in the direction of the target cell. They're only released when the CTLs encounter a target cell and are called into action. Granzyme molecules are likely endocytosed by the target cell independently of perforin, but perforin will create the holes in the endosomes to allow granzymes to enter the cytoplasm. And both mechanisms induce apoptosis through direct or indirect cleavage of intracellular caspases. That is awesome. All right, Ash, this would be a great point to wrap up the discussion. Thanks a lot for this wonderful discussion and the i'll remember sunny d and cytochrome c <laughs> just hanging out outside the mitochondria probably inside if the cell is alive <laughs> well for our audience if you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors please check out antibodies.org you can find out more about our blogs and podcasts there if you have any questions or suggestions you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com 
With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye. Nice.